Hello, everyone, and welcome to another installment of Podcast 360, your go-to resource for medical news and clinical updates. I'm your moderator, Jessica Bard, with Consultant 360 Specialty Network. Uterine fibroids are the most common benign pelvic tumors in women, but the prevalence is still underestimated because many women are asymptomatic. Regina Golder is here to speak with us about diagnosing and treating uterine fibroids. She's a family nurse practitioner at Methodist Medical Group in Atoka, Tennessee. Thank you for joining us today. How are uterine fibroids detected? So on a bimanual exam, you may notice a large or more firm uterus, and this would promote you to do more imaging, such as an ultrasound. But if a patient presents with symptoms and confirmation is needed, like I said, the gold standard for diagnosis is an ultrasound. You would want to do transvaginal and transabdominal ultrasounds because you can't see all types of fibroids just from a transvaginal ultrasound. So I'll always order a transvaginal and a transabdominal so we can make sure that we get the full picture of what, what we're treating. After uterine fibroids are diagnosed, what's the next step in the pretreatment assessment? Okay, this is the big thing with primary care providers. We have to have the conversation because obviously in primary care, we may not do a lot of treating of the actual uterine fibroids, but it is our job to have family planning conversations. Prior to treatment, we have to discuss with our patients what's your future fertility plans and what is your uterine preservation plans because although that not everybody has future fertility plans, some women are pretty headstrong about uterine preservation. So we have to know and be able to talk them through this in order to decide on a treatment plan for their fibroids. We talked about gold standard and you know we mentioned some treatment options, but if you could sum it up, what is the gold standard for treatment options, would you say? There, there's a lot of treatment options out there for fibroids. Some are heavily studied and researched and some are not. Now, if uterine preservation and no future fertility is wanted by the, the woman, the gold standard and the only proven permanent solution for uterine fibroids is hysterectomy. It is the only one. Anytime that we the uterus remains, there is a risk for redeveloping the uterine fibroids. So, but that's not always possible. There's always times that women, obviously younger women that want fertility in the future or the uterine preservation, then we can go back to medication management. So medications, let's go into that first. So you'll see the gonadotropin-releasing hormone agonists use. Now here's what they do. They block your estrogen and progesterone and pretty much throw you into a menopausal state. This in return does cause menopausal type symptoms like hot flashes So, and bone loss. And those things are important. We can't stay on these medicines long-term, but I will tell you, these are great medications to use for short-term in order to correct anemias before surgery. And I'll get into myomectomies and things in a minute, but they you can correct that anemia and shrink that fibroid before surgery. So that's when these are really good to use because honestly, as soon as you stop these type medicines, typically the uterine fibroids will return in 10 to 12 weeks. I mean, it's only a matter of time they come back. So it's not something you can stay on long-term, but they are great in pre-surgery treatments. I talked about this some earlier, the tranexamic acid. Now, this is a non-hormonal medication. It does help reduce bleeding during cycles, 
you take it as needed. It doesn't really shrink the fibroid, but it's good for management. If they're not having a lot of pain and more of their symptoms is long or heavy cycles, they can use this medication to help slow the flow during their cycle time. And like I said, you only take it on your heavy bleeding days. We do use oral contraceptives at times. Once again, this reduces bleeding during their cycle time, but it does not reduce the fibroid size. So if they're not having a lot of pain and it's really just about the amount of bleeding that they're having, the oral contraceptives maybe may be a thing to use. Um, we use NSAIDs a lot, but that's more to just control pain. There are some research studies that suggest that they decrease the blood flow, but they do not um, decrease the size of the fibroids. So this leads me into not medications, but now we go into more of our surgical treatments. As far as like minimally invasive treatments, the uterine artery embolization is used. Now this is not used in somebody that is desiring future fertility. And long-term studies with these are, are lacking, but they are good. They go in and um, it cuts off the blood supply to the fibroids. So they work. Now, we do know that fibroids typically do reoccur after this, but it could be three to five years down the road. So it is something if, if your patient is wanting more of a minimally invasive procedure, it is something that can be used. Uh, they also do endometrial ablations. This is one that you really cannot have any fertility after either, but we typically have to put you on oral contraceptives afterwards because ectopic pregnancies are common after this. So we have to watch for that. So that is another minimally invasive procedure that can be used. Your most common procedure that you're going to see the most is, is a myomectomy. And we do um, different ways. You can have open abdominal myomectomies, which is a more major surgery, more of a C-section type scar, or they also do the laparoscopic and the robotic options for myomectomies. And this is where they go in and they remove the uterine fibroid from the uterine cavity. This will preserve their fertility. When you use the open abdominal option, you do have more scarring, which could lead to some fertility issues later on. So if they're wanting future fertility, typically we'll do the laparoscopic or robotic type um, myomectomies. But like I said before, the only one proven solution for uterine fibroids is the hysterectomy. Now, there are different ways to do those too. They can do it transvaginal. They can do it open abdomen. There are, we've, we've come a long way with hysterectomies, I will say that. <laughs> what happens if uterine fibroids go untreated? What are the long-term effects? They can grow larger. They may produce symptoms. They may be asymptomatic at first. And then of course we leave them untreated and then they start producing symptoms or they may remain asymptomatic and we, we don't ever have any problems out of them. It's really a watch and wait type game. And we do annual pelvic examinations to document the stability and the size, okay? So that's really your biggest thing. If you're gonna do a watch and wait game, you have to do annual pelvic examinations to make sure you're, the, the size of the fibroid is remaining about the same. It doesn't recommend ultrasounds, transvaginal or transabdominal ultrasounds every year, the annual pelvic exams. And that way you can get a feel for the patient's symptoms, pelvic pressure, menorrhagia, all of that. Less than one in a thousand uterine fibroids actually turn cancerous with the watch and wait game. And actually, the ones that are there don't typically turn cancerous. It's the new growth, the rapid growth fibroids, more towards that menopausal age group that we're going to be more concerned about for them being cancerous. Can a primary care provider screen for uterine fibroids or does the patient need to be referred to a specialist? 
absolutely we can screen. If you're doing routine PAPs in your clinic, you do a bimanual exam of the uterus. If you feel any abnormalities, the only thing that would prevent you from doing a good bimanual examination in the clinic is BMI. Like I said, BMI over 40, it's a little hard to do a bimanual exam and get a good feel for the uterus. But if you're doing PAPs in your clinic, you do the bimanual exam. If you feel a large or firm uterus, then it's time to get an ultrasound. Also, in primary care, we get a lot of women that present with the clinical symptoms of uterine fibroids, like the menorrhagia or anemia, fatigue, pain with intercourse. And so that would lead you to go ahead and do a pelvic examination in the, in the office and do a manual exam of the uterus. And then if you need a transvaginal, transabdominal ultrasound at that point in time for confirmation, then that's, that's what we do. Now, management of fibroids is typically referred out to specialty. In your opinion, are the current guidelines sufficient or do you think that they need to be updated? I feel they are sufficient. We're doing lots of research on new treatments, but of course this is gonna be forever changing with the newer technology that we have. But the literature of the efficacy of most interventions that we have, are, it's good literature out there. We have good treatments. We have multiple treatment options. And I feel like this is very beneficial for the patients. Thank you again for joining us. Is there anything else that you'd like to add regarding diagnosing and treating uterine fibroids today? I don't think so. Thank you for having me. I enjoyed it. Thank you. I did too. I appreciate it.